0: Chapter eighteen of Japan an attempted interpretation by lafcadio Hearn. This LibyVox recording is in the public domain. The Shinto Revival The slow weakening of the Tokugawa Shogunate was due to causes not unlike those which had brought about the decline of previous regencies. The race degenerated during the long period of peace which its rule had inaugurated. The strong builders were succeeded by feebler and feebler men. Nevertheless, the machinery of administration, astutely devised by Ieyasu and further perfected by Iemitsu, worked so well that the enemies of the shogunate could find no opportunity for a successful attack, until foreign aggression unexpectedly came to their aid. The most dangerous enemies of the government were the great clans of Satsuma and Toshu, Iyazo had not ventured to weaken them beyond a certain point the risks of the undertaking would have been great and on the other hand the alliance of those clans was for the time being a matter of vast political importance he only took measures to preserve a safe balance of power placing between those formidable allies new lordships in whose rulers he could put trust a trust based first upon interest secondly upon kinship but he always felt that danger to the shogunate might come from satsuma and Choshu, and he left to his successors careful instructions about the policy to be followed in dealing with such possible enemies he felt that his work was not perfect that certain outlying blocks of the structure had not been properly clamped to the rest he could not do more in the direction of consolidation simply because the material of society had not yet sufficiently evolved, had not yet become plastic enough to permit of perfect and permanent cohesion. In order to effect that, it would have been necessary to dissolve the glands. But Iyasu did all that human foresight could have safely attempted under the circumstances, and no one was more keenly conscious than himself of the weak points in his wonderful organization. For more than two hundred years the Satsuma and Choshu clans, and several others ready to league with them, submitted to the discipline of Tokugawa rule, but they chafed under it, and watched for a chance to break the yoke. All the while this chance was being slowly created for them, not by any political changes, but by the patient toil of Japanese men of letters. Three among these the greatest scholars that japan ever produced especially prepared the way by the intellectual labours for the abolition of the shogunate they were shinto scholars and they represented the not unnatural reaction of native conservatism against the long tyranny of alien ideas and alien beliefs against the literature and philosophy and bureaucracy of china against the preponderant influence upon education of the foreign religion of buddhism to all this they opposed the old native literature of Japan, the ancient poetry, the ancient cult, the early traditions and rites of Shinto. The names of these three remarkable men were Mabuchi sixteen ninety seven to seventeen sixty nine, Mutowori, seventeen thirty to eighteen oh one, and Hirata, seventeen seventy six to eighteen forty three their efforts actually resulted in the disestablishment of buddhism and in the great shinto revival of eighteen seventy one the intellectual revolution made by these scholars could have been prepared only during a long era of peace and by men enjoying the protection and patronage of members of the ruling class by a strange chance it was the house of tokugawa itself which first gave to literature such encouragement and aid as made possible the labours of the Shinto scholars. Iyasu had been a lover of learning, and had devoted the later years of his life, passed in retirement at Shizuoka, to the collection of ancient books and manuscripts. He bequeathed his Japanese books to his eighth son, the prince of Owari, and his Chinese books to another son, the prince of Kishu the prince of uvari himself composed several works upon japanese early literature other descendants of ieyasu inherited the great shogun's love of letters one of his grandsons mitsukuni the second prince of mito sixteen twenty-two to seventeen hundred compiled with the aid of various scholars the first important history of japan the dai Nihonshi, in two hundred and forty books Also he compiled a work of five hundred volumes upon the ceremonies and etiquette of the imperial court, and set aside from his revenues a sum equal to about thirty thousand pounds per annum to cover the cost of publishing the splendid productions. Under the patronage of great lords like these, collectors of libraries, there gradually developed a new school of men of letters, men who turned away from Chinese literature to the study of the Japanese classics they re-edited the ancient poetry and chronicles they republished the sacred records with ample commentaries they produced whole libraries of works upon religious historical and philological subjects they made grammars and dictionaries they wrote treatises on the art of poetry on popular errors on the nature of the gods on government on the manners and customs of ancient days The foundations of this new scholarship were laid by two Shinto priests, Kada and Mabuchi. The high patrons of learning never suspected the possible results of those researches, which they had encouraged and aided. The study of the ancient records, the study of Japanese literature, the study of the early political and religious conditions, naturally led men to consider the history of those foreign literary influences which, at well nigh, stifled native learning, and to consider also the history of the foreign creed which had overwhelmed the religion of the ancestral gods. Chinese ethics, Chinese ceremonial, and Chinese Buddhism had reduced the ancient faith to the state of a minor belief, almost to the state of a superstition. The Shinto gods, exclaimed one of the scholars of the new school, have become the servants of the Buddhas. But those Shinto gods... Were the ancestors of the race, the fathers of its emperors and princes, and their degradation could not but involve the degradation of the imperial tradition. Already, indeed, the emperors had been deprived not only of their immemorial rights and privileges, but of their revenues. Many had been deposed and banished and insulted. Just as the gods had been admitted only as inferior personages to the Buddhist pantheon. So the living descendants were now permitted to reign only as the dependents of military usurpers. By sacred law, the whole soil of the empire belonged to the heavenly sovereign, yet there had been great poverty at times in the imperial palace, and the revenues allotted for the maintenance of the Mikado had often been insufficient to relieve his family from want. Assuredly, all this was wrong, The Chogonate had indeed established peace and inaugurated prosperity, but who could forget that it had originated in a military usurpation of imperial rights? Only by the restoration of the Son of Heaven to his ancient position of power, and by the relegation of the military chiefs to their proper state of subordination, could the best interests of the nation be really served. All this was thought and felt and strongly suggested but not all of it was openly proclaimed to have publicly preached against the military government as a usurption would have been to invite destruction the shinto scholars dared only so much as the politics and the temper of their time seemed to permit though they closely approached the danger line by the end of the eighteenth century however their teaching had created a strong party in favour of the official revival of the ancient religion the restoration of the mikado to supreme power and the repression if not suppression of the military power yet it was not until the year eighteen forty one that the shogunate took alarm and proclaimed its disquiet by banishing from the capital the great scholar hirata and forbidding him to write anything more not long afterwards he died but he had been able to teach for forty years He had written and published several hundred volumes, and the school of which he was the last and greatest theologian already exerted far-reaching influence. The restive lords of Choshu, Satsuma, Tosa and Hisen were watching and waiting. They perceived the worth of the new ideas to their own policy. They encouraged the new Shintoism. They felt that the time was coming when they could hope to shake off the domination of the Tokugawa. And their opportunity came at last with the advent to Japan of Commodore Perry's fleet. The events of that time are well known and need not here be dwelt upon at any length. Suffice to say that after the shogunate had been terrified into making commercial treaties with the United States and other powers and practically compelled to open sundry ports to foreign trade, great discontent arose and was fomented as much as possible by the enemies of the military government meanwhile the shogunate had ascertained for itself the impossibility of resisting foreign aggression it was fairly well informed as to the strength of western countries the imperial court was nowise informed and the shogunate naturally dreaded to furnish the information to acknowledge incapacity to resist occidental aggression would be to invite the ruin of the tokugawa house to resist on the other hand would be to invite the destruction of the empire the enemies of the shogunate then persuaded the imperial court to order the expulsion of the foreigners and this order which it must be remembered was essentially a religious order emanating from the source of all acknowledged authority placed the military government in a serious dilemma it tried to effect by diplomacy what it could not accomplish by force but while it was negotiating for the withdrawal of the foreign settlers matters were suddenly forced to a crisis by the prince of Choshu, who fired upon various ships belonging to the foreign powers this action provoked the bombardment of shimonoseki and the demand of an indemnity of three million dollars the shogun Iemochi attempted to chastise the daimyo of shosho for this act of hostility but the attempt only proved the weakness of the military government Iemochi died soon after this defeat and his successor hitotsubashi had no chance to do anything for the now evident feebleness of the shogunate gave its enemies courage to strike a fatal blow pressure was brought upon the imperial court to proclaim the abolition of the shogunate and the shogunate was abolished by decree. Ito Tsubashi submitted, and the Tokugawa regime thus came to an end, although its more devoted followers warred for two years afterwards, against hopeless odds, to re-establish it. In 1867, the entire administration was reorganized, the supreme power, both military and civil, being restored to the Mikado. Soon afterward, the Shinto cult, Officially revived in its prime simplicity, was declared the religion of state, and Buddhism was disendowed. Thus, the empire was re-established upon the ancient lines, and all that the literary party had hoped for seemed to be realized, except one thing. Be it here observed that the adherents of the literary party wanted to go much further than the great founders of the new Shintoism had dreamed of going these later enthusiasts were not satisfied with the abolition of the shogunate the restoration of imperial power and the revival of the ancient cult they wanted a return of all society to the simplicity of primitive times they desired that all foreign influence should be got rid of and that the official ceremonies the future education the future literature the ethics the laws should be purely japanese They were not even satisfied with the disendowment of Buddhism. There was a vigorous proposal made for its total suppression. And all this would have signified, in more ways than one, a social retrogression towards barbarism. The great scholars had never proposed to cast away Buddhism and all Chinese learning. They had only insisted that the native religion and culture should have precedence. But the new literary party desired what would have been equivalent to the destruction of the thousand years experience happily the clansmen who had broken down the shogunate saw both past and future in another light they understood that the national existence was in peril and that resistance to foreign pressure would be hopeless satsuma had witnessed the bombardment of kagoshima in eighteen sixty three joshu the bombardment of shimonoseki in eighteen sixty four Evidently, the only chance of being able to face Western power would be through the patient study of Western science, and the survival of the empire depended upon the Europeanization of society. By 1871, the Daimiyats were abolished. In 1873, the edicts against Christianity were withdrawn. In 1876, the wearing of swords was prohibited. The samurai, as a military body, were suppressed and all classes were declared, thenceforward, equal before the law. New codes were compiled, a new army and navy organized, a new police system established, a new system of education introduced at government expense, and a new constitution promised. Finally, in 1891, the first Japanese parliament, strictly speaking, was convoked, By that time the entire framework of society had been remodelled so far as laws could remodel it upon a european pattern the nation had fairly entered upon its third period of integration the clan had been legally dissolved the family was no longer the legal unit of society but a new constitution the individual had been recognised when we consider the history of some vast and sudden political change in its details only the factors of the movement the combinations of immediate cause and effect the influences of strong personality the conditions impelling individual action then the transformation is apt to appear to us the work and the triumph of a few superior minds we forget perhaps that those minds themselves were the product of their epoch and that every such rapid change must represent the working of a natural or race instinct quite as much as the operation of individual intelligence. The events of the Meiji reconstruction strangely illustrate the action of such instinct in the face of peril, the readjustment of internal relations to sudden changes of environment. The nation had found its old political system powerless before the new conditions, and it transformed that system. It had found its military organization incapable of defending it, and it reconstructed that organization it had found its educational system useless in the presence of unforeseen necessities and it replaced that system simultaneously crippling the power of buddhism which might otherwise have offered serious opposition to the new developments required and in that hour of greatest danger the national instinct turned back at once to the moral experience upon which it could best rely the experience embodied in its ancient cult, the religion of unquestioning obedience. Relying upon Shinto tradition, the people rallied about the ruler, descendant of the ancient gods, and awaited his will with unconquerable zeal of faith. By strict obedience to his commands the peril might be averted, never otherwise. This was the national conviction. And the imperial order was simply that the nation should strive by study to make itself as far as possible the intellectual equal of its enemies how faithfully the command was obeyed how well the old moral discipline of the race served it in that period of that supreme emergency i need scarcely say japan by right of self-acquired strength has entered into the circle of the modern civilized powers formidable by her new military organization respectable through her achievements in the domain of practical science and the force to effect this astonishing self-improvement within the time of thirty years she owes assuredly to the moral habit derived from her ancient cult the religion of the ancestors to fairly measure the feat we should remember that japan was evolutionally younger than any modern european nation by at least twenty-seven hundred years when she went to school Herbert spencer has shown that the great value to society of ecclesiastical institutions lies in their power to give cohesion to the mass to strengthen rule by enforcing obedience to custom and by opposing innovations likely to supply any element of disintegration in other words the value of a religion from the sociological standpoint lies in its conservatism various writers have alleged that the japanese national religion proved itself weak by incapacity to resist the overwhelming influence of buddhism i cannot help thinking that the entire social history of japan yields proof to the contrary though buddhism did for a long period appear to have almost entirely absorbed shinto by the acknowledgment of the shinto scholars themselves though buddhist emperors reigned who neglected or despised the cult of their ancestors though buddhism directed during ten centuries the education of the nation shinto remained all the while so very much alive that it was able not only to dispossess its rival at last but to save the country from foreign domination to assert that the shinto revival signified no more than a stroke of policy imagined by a group of statesmen is to ignore all the antecedents of the event no such change could have been wrought by mere decree. Had not the national sentiment welcomed it. Moreover, there are three important facts to be remembered in regard to the former Buddhist predomination. First, Buddhism conserved the family cult, modifying the forms of the rite. Second, Buddhism never really supplanted the Ujigami cults, but maintained them. Third, Buddhism never interfered with the imperial cult now these three forms of ancestor-worship the domestic the communal and the national constitute all that is vital in shinto no single essential of the ancient faith had ever been weakened much less abolished under the long pressure of buddhism the supreme cult is not now the state religion by request of the chiefs of shinto it is not even officially classed a religion Obvious reasons of state policy decided this course. Having fulfilled its grand task, Shinto abdicated. But as representing all those traditions which appeal to race feeling, to the sentiment of duty, to the passion of loyalty, and the love of country, it yet remains an immense force, a power to which appeal will not be vainly made in another hour of national peril. End of chapter 18. Recording Pajulani de maya